Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Teacher Talk Tuesday. I'm your host for today's podcast, Dr. Johnny Cruz Craig, and I'm also the National Project Director for the DTEC TAG program. This podcast serves to encourage teachers to express their educational experiences, research, and advocacy work as we use this platform to inform, inspire, and develop communities of support we start to look forward to the conversations that allow this exchange of ideas to happen. We're very excited to announce that we're now on all platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. On this episode, we are sitting down with Veronica Menethy, who has almost 20 years of teaching experience and has taught on every level from pre-K to adult during her career. Um, she spent the majority of her time in middle and high schools, and in August of 2015, Veronica was approved for Administrator 1 on her teaching certificate to add to her special education, reading, social studies, and language arts endorsements. Hi, Veronica. Welcome. Hi, Dr. Craig. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yes, ma'am. I'm excited. Uh, we've been sort of connected since 2014 when DTEC was birthed. And I don't think we've ever sat down and had a real deep conversation. We've done lots of work together and service together. So I'm really excited to learn more about you today as you, you know, express and share and give wisdom to our listeners. Um, so I want to talk about your role now and how it helps you advocate for students you help. As a special education consultant, how do you work to provide information to school administrators that will help get the best educational experience for the special education students they serve? Thank you for that question. I wanna briefly just give a quick background and then go into what I do presently. So I was a classroom teacher for the majority of my educational career. Education is very important to me. And I come from a family of teachers, from my mother to my aunts, my brother and more. I've worked in a district special education office as a resource teacher before transitioning to my current position as an educational consultant in 2016, specializing in special ed. Presently, I work within the Baltimore City area to provide special education consulting, tutoring, staff, and parent workshops. And I review IEPs for parents who request my services. And I do educational presentations within the community. In attending these IEP meetings, I collaboratively work with the IEP team that consists of parents, guardians, therapists, general education, um, educators, special educators, related services as needed, the IEP chair and the principal and their designee. I've been able to forge like these great relationships with the teams, especially the principals and designees to be able to provide resources to their schools. And in some cases, they let me come back for workshops on understanding the IEP process and connecting with the parents and the school with the community outreach programs that provide mentoring and other needed services for our students. So I'm very invested within not just special education, but the education um, component for all of our students, because I just want us to do better. That's amazing. And that is such a needed space. Um, you know, as a, me as a classroom teacher and actually as a teacher that served in a collaborative classroom, 
um, your services are so needed. So I was able to get my, I would say my pinky toe <laughs> <into> <laughs> the special education just a little bit because of that collaborative setting that I was in. And I saw everything that was happening there. And it, I had a lot of questions. I'm going to be so honest with you. Like, I, questioned, I understand. <laughs> I questioned a lot. I questioned a lot. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. And this doesn't seem right. So where you serve is needed because you serve in a yeah. lot of different roles like you go into the schools and you serve the community and you can be an advocate to help parents be an advocate for their students so that's amazing yes and I love being able to do that because many parents don't understand the process and they're intimidated and they Mm -hmm. don't speak up for the services that are really needed and so that's where I fill in that gap and I can talk with them and we can plan out this is what your child needs and this is where we're going to go so we map it out and I give them that pep talk and we talk before meetings and during and after, and I make them feel comfortable. So when they go in there, they're being an advocate just like me, but I just know the terminology a little bit better. Yeah, that's good. Oh, this the timeliness of this podcast. Oh my goodness. With where we are in the world and what is going on, this is so needed. Like what you carry, your purpose is so needed in the world today with how we're having to face education and evolve. So now with the onset of COVID-19 in this pandemic, it's forced school districts and universities all across the country to push learning online in an effort to implement social distancing and to stop the spread of the virus. As a discussion on returning to schools is being presented, what are your thoughts on providing equity in technology to keep distance learning in homes versus sending students back to the classroom? And I know that's a loaded question. It is. And I'm going to have to expound on this because there's so many key components within that. So first, being that I'm going to always be an educator, no matter where I go, I want to first thank my fellow educators for being creative, flexible, and continuing the educational process since March without a lot of direction. So it's a testament to how resilient educators are despite all that has happened and the uncertainty that is still there as to when we will officially return to school buildings. I do not believe that it is safe for the student, staff, and personnel to return at this time because safety has to come first for everyone involved. So the digital divide was widely on display even prior to March 2020 within our schools the pandemic made that divide more evident. So I've witnessed homes not have computers or the internet to support the online learning that was required. And I saw frustrated parents firsthand as I was handing out supplies at some of my sites. I was pleased to see the Baltimore area schools putting packets together for parents and students to pick up to keep the education going at the homes as a solution at the time until the um, real Uh, Chromebooks and everything else were devised in terms of a plan. So the district in which I'm working in, Dr. Sonia Santelises is the CEO of the Baltimore City Public Schools, and she's been very proactive in meeting the needs of the students in terms of technology. There were device deployment days where families could come to the various sites and pick up a Chromebook. As of today, approximately, I think it's like 20,000 Chromebooks have been given out to students in need, and the district is still giving those devices out to those who need it. Now, when we talk about going back and we talk about the equity, I wanted to see what Maryland's plan was. So I went on to the Maryland's uh, recovery plan for education and I saw something 
Very interesting. So on October 19, 2019, Comar, which is the Code of Maryland Regu Regulations 13A.01.06, which is the educational equity by the Maryland State uh, Board of Education, it was established and it basically provided for the following. One, that each Maryland public school will provide each student equitable access to the educational rigor, resources, and to me that seems to say computers, and support that are designed to maximize the student's academic success and social emotional well-being. That's very needed in this pandemic. And number two, each local school system's procedures and practices provide for the educational equity and ensures that there are no obstacles to accessing educational opportunities and that the students, number three, achieve and will improve for all Maryland students and achievement gaps will be eliminated. So in order to provide equity in technology, the funding needs to be increased. I know that is difficult due to the pandemic because there's needed supplies that have to be there to adequately equip the schools when the reopenings do occur in the far future. So sanitation and you know the desk dividers, all of that and so forth. But funds have to cover more technology if we're going to give the students that equity within education. And also I think more partnerships with the internet companies to provide services for low-income families that are fighting just to maintain in this trying economy due to COVID-19. The bottom line is that we just are all gonna have to work together to support all of our students and getting them what they need to be set up for success during this time and beyond. Yeah, so I wanna, I wanna take that. That was very good information. I love, 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 love how you went and you were proactive and you went to that Maryland plan, right? And you read it and you pulled out to see what it was, what was written in it. And now when you talk about that, you can say, according to so-and-so, 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 just like you did here, and you can build on a position. You can take a position and you can help people to advocate around it. So that, number one, for me, was like heartwarming because I'm like, this is what we need in our communities for us That's to true. know what is written and what is expected, what has been promised and said to us, but also... Mm -hmm. Like you did, you read and you was like, okay, I see what they're saying, but I also needed, there needs to be some more funding. So now as an advocate, as an equity warrior, right? You know how to shift that narrative and lead that narrative for the masses. Definitely. This is what they say it, but this is what we need. So these are our advocacy points. This is what we need to talk to, but I'm going off on, to, on, a, on a whole nother <laughs> advocacy engine. Well, that's what educators but, do. We get excited <laughs> and we love data and we want to know yes. what these documents that govern how we can educate our students say. And we want to hold those accountable for those words. If you write it to me, you must do it. Yes, that's so good. That, I love that piece, but I want to adjust this equity lens really quickly, only sure. because I'm speaking to you and I know that your gifting and talent and your calling is in the special education arena along with greater education. So I want to take this question and repose it back to you broadly, basically saying with this shift to online learning and everything that we know and we've learned, I keep hearing many educators, parents, with special education students that receive services asking what about this population right so mm -hmm. what are some of what what kind of wisdom or insight or, or, or perspective can you bring to that discussion for those teachers and for those parents and as an advocate how do we move in this space to make sure that that subgroup is not further left behind 
That is an excellent, excellent point. Well, what has to happen is everyone has to work together. The team is the outcome. So you have your designee and your teachers and everybody, they meet at the end. But in the beginning, someone has to speak up for that student because the student may not know that they are deficient in an area. They may be struggling. So if they're an older child or student, they can say to their parent, you know what, I'm having difficulty in math. And the parent may then at that point say, you know what, let's do a little testing. Let's see, you know, where your present levels are. And I do those too, the educational assessments just to get where they are. Are they on a first grade level? Are they on a sixth grade level? Where are they? So that we can tailor once again, a plan that can get them to where they need to be. In the classroom, teachers, are on the front lines and they can see right then and there, okay, this child is struggling with writing. They're struggling with comprehension. They are right there and can make recommendations to their IEP chair that this particular child may need to be observed. So with the parent's permission, and that's the big piece, there has to be permission. No child can be observed, looked at anything without a parent's permission. So that particular adult who is certified in that area to do those different observations and assessments can work with the parent to make sure those are done and then come back with feedback and figure out, well, maybe I can work with the teacher on some strategies or some accommodations, just low tech to see if that works first. Because people look at IEPs as, oh my God, you're labeling my child, but that's the last resort. It's not the first resort. We want to make sure that we tried everything we can first off before we go to that measure. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like in the virtual setting? Like with so many districts going to virtual online, which I totally agree with, <laughs> I totally agree with it because it's the safest thing to do. But what does that look like for this next semester, right? For the special education population? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Unfortunately, we equate it to flying a plane and putting a manual together at this point. Because as you know, with special education, it's usually direct services up front. We have to be with the students. We have to be in an environment where we can do what we need to do. What we're doing on the different um, uh, clients that I work with, we're doing virtual and it's hard. Virtually, I can't really see how you are in your school environment. I can't see what you really know at this point. And I can't test you with fidelity. We're not allowed to do um, as the rules are written right now because nobody knew this pandemic was coming. We can't do testing via uh, Zoom or any other um, method like this. I have to be face-to-face -face with you. So what's happening is you have certain uh, therapists such as your speech therapist, they're able to use a Zoom to kind of hear the child speak, but your OT, which is occupational therapy, they have to be able to see you walk, see you write, and that's a little bit harder. How do you diagnose when you're kind of looking at them and the parent is, is right there coaching them or what have you? So we're figuring it out the best way we can. What's going to happen in the fall, I would hope we're going to have to figure out if it is safe, when it is safe, can we maybe use a building where you can have a child come in and use social distance? I think that might be the better plan, only when it's safe. I do not advocate for that happening right now, but um, there's lots of, and I'm just going to say it, there are lawsuits pending because services have not been rendered. And by law, 
we are to deliver these services and we have a timeline in, as to what we should do. And Betsy DeVos is not very knowledgeable about special education and she's just saying, get it done. That is her method to it because we look at the top for guidance and we haven't been given that. Wow, that's, that's, that's big insight there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think we all are gonna really have to work together in this next, these, these next months. And because yes. education will never be the same, right? No, it, it will, will not. never be back to the same. So we have to figure it out as we go. But I believe that we have so many vested educators out here with some guidance. Yeah, leadership. Mm -hmm. We can get this done. We can definitely get it done. And um, I'll just share here that when we talk about this technology piece in the classroom, before I left the classroom in 2014, um, that was the my last couple of years is when I was actually serving in a collaborative setting. So in this setting, it was really hard. And I think I've shared this. I don't know yeah. which, but it was really hard because I had gifted students and special education students in one room with the collab teacher. And wow. so I used to leave in the beginning of the year, I would leave the building crying. I would oh. go into planning meetings and grade level meetings because I felt like I was failing my students because it was so very hard to reach a classroom with so many varying um, um, abilities on a particular. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you where my saving grace came in. I was introduced to Ed Modo. Oh. And I start using that platform, which is a virtual platform. It's much like a Facebook yes. education. Mm -hmm. And what I found in utilizing that is my special education students soared. Oh, yes. They soared because I was able to provide them um, content prior to getting to a standard. So when they came into the discussions, they didn't feel stifled, like they had time to go do fun uh, YouTube videos or games mm -hmm. and introduced to content in a way that, you know, cause it was varying ways they could do it. If they like writing, if they like moving and dancing with something, if they like watching it. So meeting them where they were, they had a lot of autonomy to get ahead of the game and they wanted to learn. Yes. Like I learned that they wanted to learn and they came to yes. class and their confidence shot out the roof because they could raise their hand. They could answer that question. They could be a part of the discussion because this virtual tool at that time was being utilized in the classroom. So I'm saying that to say that we can do this. Yes, Where we we're going virtually, we can do this. We have to shift our minds. We have to be um, have fidelity and efficacy in our practices, mm -hmm. right? So that we can heal what's needed for our children. So Yes, and we need to bring the experts in the room. And that's what happens so much at the local and state levels. You don't have those that are directly impacted in that room to hear what is going on. I would be very, very anxious to know, has Dr. Salmon, who works for, she's our, super, our superintendent for the state of Maryland, has she talked to the teachers on the ground that have been navigating through these online Zooms daily, day after day, trying to get our students to learn these, these necessary skills. So it would be really interesting to know, have we been invited to that table? And if not, why not? Mm. That's a good question, Veronica. Have we been invited to that table? And if not, why not? And why not? So I could go on and on about that too, about that, that, that diversity piece and how you know, everybody wants to build a DEI and an equity this, but yes. until you have, until you have diversity at that big table, 
You're missing mm -hmm. the voice and the flavor needed for a true sustainable shift. Yes, and I totally agree with that. Yeah, so so I, I want to move forward because I know you've shifted in your career, you know, not uh, not too long ago. Um, and I want to know what freedoms came from that shift from in-classroom teacher to consultant. Like, what has that shift provided you? And how have you benefited, um, how have those shifts benefited your work and changed your educational strategy now that you are, uh, we're in this global pandemic? Of course. So I definitely miss the instructional part of teaching a lesson each day, seeing the child learn directly. That's a big joy. But the biggest change is that for me right now, no two days are the same for me. I could be doing an educational training in the morning, informal student observations during the afternoon. And this is before the pandemic hit. It's a little bit different now. I have to be creative. I could do an IEP meeting, then a parent meeting, and then the next day it might be workshops, researching for materials, laws, books for the classroom and for the meetings that I go to. And it might follow up the end of the day with me screening a student for learning disability using those educational uh, testings that I talked about earlier. So each day is definitely different. But I do love being able to now have the freedom to work with all stakeholders and not just certain ones. So within mm -hmm. the educational realm, I work from, with students all the way up to community members and then some. So it's a joy for me to be able to take all of this knowledge and then go to these IEP meetings and to help the parents get their child the needed services so that deficient skills can be mastered before they enter upper grades and have to struggle. I want them to foster that love of learning and not begin hating learning because they learn a different way. We can work on that. So my job right now has been severely impacted by the pandemic. Normally I'm at sites. I work between eight for one client and then I do different things for parents and other entities in between. So now that everything is online, I basically work from my home office and I've never been in there more than these last few months. So my sites and clients have been utilizing Classroom Dojo and Zoom for educational lessons. So I've been able to be in communication with everyone through email, phone, um, the Classroom Dojo, Zoom, and it's definitely not the same because you want that in-person experience. You want to be able to to see, you know, your students. You want to be able to see the staff. Yeah, you can see them on a Zoom, but it's different being right there. But I have to be flexible until it's safe to have that in contact, in-person contact rather. So yesterday I did step out a little bit of my comfort zone. I went mm -hmm. in because I had materials that I wanted to drop off in terms of books and workbooks for all my sites that I service. So I did wear my gloves, wore my mask, and I had everything labeled and ready to go so that I can help those parents that needed additional learning materials for their homes. So I got these books through First Book, which is a, a wonderful organization who helps uh, low-income schools and those who need materials without charging so much. So I worked through their book bank donation to distribute these books. So those are going to be help, helpful. So in short, my strategy is still to be visible, provide resources that is needed, and to maintain the contact with families and staff mm -hmm. so they know that they are still supported by me. So I have to be visible. Can you say those three things one more time for the listeners? Y'all need to jot sure. these three things down. <laughs> you say your sure. strategy is? So my strategy is I have to be visible, I have to provide resources as needed, and I have to maintain contact with my families and staff so that they know they are still supported by me. 
Mm, that is so good. I think that is a formula for relationship, connection, mm -hmm. heart matters, right? She cares. Hello, she cares. She yes. cares. I think that that that's that's good. So um, as we move forward, I really appreciate you, you know, sharing your strategy and that insight as you shifted in this pandemic. Uh, what would you share with others to move them from being informed to actively advocating? Well, everyone can be an advocate and they should. And working in special ed for so long, many parents and staff alike get discouraged due to jargon and technicalities and the intricate rules for special education and education as a whole. So I make sure that the laws pertaining to special education and I help to demystify them for others. Knowledge is power. And once parents feel comfortable speaking up for their child, they become empowered. So mm. I like to have the personal meetings before the IEP meetings where I go over the strategy, as I spoke about before. I give scenarios as to what can happen during the meeting because I'm not going to do the Johnny Cochran approach where we're going to win this. We may not, but I want them to be prepared. And if we don't win, these are the steps we're going to take so that we can still circumvent this, this situation so that you can get what is needed for this child. So I let the parents know I can fight with you, but not without you for your child. So you, I bring the educational testing, the student history. I love research. So I'm always going into the student file, finding information that shows as to what has happened to this child. It might be social emotional. It might be physical. It might be, uh, a variety of things. So research really helps the, ch the team understand the child and what services are needed. And we just talk about it. So other ways for people to advocate come with going to the school board meetings, PTA meetings, community meetings, being seen and heard makes a difference. There's power mm -hmm. in groups and making your boards hear your concerns and following up with the progress. Your voice matters and so do your words. So you can follow up with emails, phone calls, letters, because I know right now we can't really be there in person, but eventually you can go. Many of the meetings are now Zoom and other online methods. I implore everyone to go view at least one meeting and to make plans. So in the future, you need to go to these. So if you have a student enrolled in whatever district that you live in, I encourage you to join that PTA or parent advocacy group because that's where the real change starts. When parents speak, your administration is going to listen and they're gonna take those suggestions and they're going to make things happen for you. That's powerful. You gave a whole formula again to the listeners, okay? You basically <laughs> just told them how to advocate and you encourage them in the midst of it because you told them their voice matters and it does. It does, it does so it much does. more than they know. Mm, 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 mm. That is like, I think you need to create like this master class for parents and, and stuff and like really share this information, Veronica. This is good. I do. That's part of one of my workshops. Mm, that's good. Well, you need to put that out there more because across, just think about it, across the globe now with virtual learning, many mm -hmm. people need what you have with that workshop. So we need to help you to push that out there so that people can connect because they're asking questions. Some of them are even lost and don't even know what questions to ask. So yes. people need to understand that you're here. Like, they need to understand that there's a resource out here and maybe find a way virtually where you can service, you know, just in a, in, in, in a, you know, maybe once a month or something. I don't know how you set it up or what's best for people that you've worked with, but people need this. And I just really pray that 
this is amplified um, in many ways because we don't want any families or students to feel helpless. I agree. I so agree. And that's why I do all I can. And I work after hours. I work around the clock to make wow. sure that our kids get the services because I did not know that there was such a disparaging amount of parents that did not know that they could get services most were told no your child doesn't need it and they push them on and being that I've worked on all levels now all the way now from head start all the way to adult I've seen in the middle school and high school you've got kids that can't read and I ask what happened and they'll say people just push them on I've had I had an eighth grader one time he acted up and I had no idea what the disruptions were about until I pulled them aside that's that relationship and I asked them what is going on? Why is it every day I ask you to do something, you, you know, make it into a comedy show? And he was very honest for one time for me. And he said, Miss Memphis, I can't read. Mm. And I did not mock him. I did not really ridicule him. And I realized, I told him, I'm not a reading teacher. However, I said, I'm going to get you to somebody who can assist you. I said, but you're going to have to put the work in. I said, you're going to either have to come early for school or stay late so that they can get you those lessons and do those work, do the work at home so that we can get you up to par. So of course I had to get parental permission and they allowed him to come before school and he stayed after and he came to me during lunch so that we could reinforce what he had learned. So it really helped him and he was able not to get up to the eighth grade level, but he at least was able to recognize words, write his name and do that sort of thing. So luckily he's in high school, actually he's beyond high school now. He should be in college and doing great things within this world, but it's all about asking. Most wouldn't have asked him. Most teachers told me he's just a problem. They looked at it as labeling. They did, they, no one asked him what is wrong? What's going on? Wow. How can I help you? And we need to change the way we speak. Frame it into a positive thing. How can I help you? That's good. That's good. Well, I say thank you on behalf of that young man. And, and thank you for sharing that story. Um, because, you know, we have to pause and stop and ask. And, mm -hmm. and what you shared is not just a single situation. You know, again, I was in the classroom and I've seen that social promotion, right? That just really... That, that really stirred my core. I didn't like it at all. But and then with that social promotion, we have this literacy problem that yes. is so far spread and people don't understand that we have many grown folk, yes, grown folk as well as children in school that's in high school and middle school that cannot read. And I've seen that too. I've worked in adult literacy programs and the most pushback I've gotten has been from the adults. It's like you're trying to push them to an uncomfortable position, but you know that's what they need in order to learn and grow, but they're not willing to go there with you. They don't want to read the children's book, but you can't give them like a, a manual or something that's more advanced. You have to start somewhere right. and they don't want to do that. They feel embarrassed and they feel as if you're you're like kind of teaching down to them, but you have to start with the basics. You have to before you can get to the great novels. And just, I don't know, I just, the word systemic just kept rising here in my spirit as I'm, I'm listening to this, like as we talk about this whole literacy issue across the nation, right? Especially mm -hmm. in our community. Like oh, I'm yeah. hearing oppression, systemic, like what was put in place for this to be where we are today, where many of our black 
adults, men, especially that maybe cannot read because of social promotion, but also because of other societal um, factors such as prison, right? Oh, yeah. Some did what? School to prison pipeline. They end up in prison. Mm -hmm. They're not getting that quality education. They don't even have the access to that quality education because no. of that history. So that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. I know it, it but is. I it is, but we still need to push literacy. I always say it's never too late. And if you need that help, don't be so prideful. You have yes. community college giving, colleges giving those particular individuals like evening classes. They're working with schedules to try to boost the literacy rate and it's free. You don't have to pay. I worked with that for a while um, also. So it's like, I like to see all facets of education. I always jump in because I want to see what does this look like? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a good conversation needs to be had. Now, so I want to move forward. As an individual who advocates for students and teaches others to become advocates as well, how would you advise organizations with larger platforms and resources to do the work? that makes a difference in creating educational equity for all. In today's climate, I truly believe that we have to start at the top. And with that, I'm deeply disappointed with Betsy DeVos, who is the United States Secretary of Education, and she's been that since 2017. Her educational policies have been so divisive and solely comprised of not doing what is right for teachers and students, and that's how we have to operate. What's right for the students, not what's right personally for ourselves. So just recently, she sided with Donald Trump in trying to force schools to open the doors in the fall by threatening to withhold federal funds that are needed. So she has to lead by example and support schools and the real educational leaders that are doing the work. So currently, I'm involved with many advocacy groups, such as Detect Tag, as we touched upon, First Book, and Teach Intolerance. All of these organizations have brilliant resources, members, staff, supporters, all and all who have championed needed, needed causes, rather, that promote equity by engaging the public to shift their minds and to affect change. So with that, you also have to go where the people are. Many mm -hmm of us on social media and right now more than ever to get information so we can have links to articles, flyers, audio clips, hands-on materials, if we need to mail it to those who don't have access to online uh, measures, we can create hashtags to, to draw attention, we can make videos um, that cause dialogue and that can bring awareness to the cause of creating educational equity for all. But again, we all have to be in and we all have to do our piece, but once again, it starts from the top. The top person has to set that tone as to what is important and other people usually follow that suit. Yeah, yes, yes, I totally agree. It's a lot of shifting that's needed and all everything that you said is spot on and we have to be able to move forward, I think with a more unified, forceful voice, given direction to build those advocates so that we're making that rumbling and hopefully that the people that are in positions that are maybe misaligned can start to make the shift or either be replaced. Definitely. And we just have to push these organizations to help people with advocation and just say, look, these are some of the things we found helpful and this is what we feel might work for you and have yeah. those open dialogues discussions. Absolutely, absolutely. So now, as a DTEC tag equity warrior, what have you seen DTEC tag 
doing that's aligned with your efforts to promote equity in education? Well, I've seen DTEC TAG be involved this entire time, and most recently with the professional development series called He Live, which is for highly efficacious, effective, I love this alliteration, and efficient educators. So these sessions have included discussions around COVID-19 and how to best support staff students. We broached upon mental health, STEAM-based topics, and just engaging people online. And I love seeing not only teachers on there, but there were uh, people from district offices, equity um, officers, you had students, you had a little bit of everybody. So some of these sessions that, that you have done align with workshops that some of the workshops, not all that I've done in my current position and through my advocacy board positions. So I'm currently working with the DMV DTEC tag team to bring a series of online panel discussions. So I'm working on the subcommittee to bring ESSA, which is the Every Student Succeeds Act and inequalities in education discussion to life. So it's going to be a panel discussion and we're going to look to have it online in October 2020. So more details will be forthcoming as we finalize our plans. And I'm excited to have that event because we wanna keep exploring equity and keep empowering the people to fight for what our students need. Yes, yes, very, very well stated. And I'm excited about the work that the state teams are doing for TAG. Um, so look forward to these panels that you all are curating to bring forth this content, this advocacy mindset and this equity lens to the masses. Like this virtual world has been a blessing. I kid you not. I just got to keep the yes. <laughs> It has been a blessing for us as DTEC TAG because, you know, TAG, DTEC was national, but TAG was six states with some specific cities, but yep. now that we're in this virtual realm, our reach has been amplified exponentially. Yes, it has. And it's yes, been it absolutely has. amazing. So I'm glad to have you on this journey with us. I'm glad to have you serving. And I would encourage others to, to really connect with Veronica and, um, you know, connect with us on our social media platforms. We're on um, all social channels, Twitter, we're at DTEC Change Agent at DTEC underscore change underscore agent on Instagram and DTEC change agent on Facebook. Please connect with us. Please connect with Veronica. And another thing about Veronica, before I ask her to give you um, the information as how you can connect with her, is she serves on a lot of boards. She talked about it a little bit throughout this particular podcast, but she really, and I can tell from working with her, that is a priority for her to put herself in places and on boards and advisory committees and, and help to move the work along in that way. So I would encourage others to look at those opportunities as well, like find out Thank these organizations. You. And um, I'll let you speak to that, Veronica, as you tell the listeners how they can connect with you as we close out. Definitely, definitely. Anytime I'm on social media, I'm looking to see the call for educators or the call for advocates. And I look to see the criteria, what do they need? And being that I am passionate about special ed, it's normally not on boards. And so they want that lens. So they always will look for something different that they may not have had. And then also I've worked almost on, or actually I have worked on every level for education. So that works too, to see the disconnects, to see where we can work harder. And that is very powerful. So if you connect with me, I can let you know how I've been serving on these boards and when 
the applications reopen and I can help you with your application and just talk to you about the work that is being done. So I can be reached for consultations, resources, tutorings, questions with IEPs, whatever you may need at Miss V Menifee at Outlook.com. And then also you can keep up with my team and I through the DMV DTECH, D-T-E-C dash tag Facebook page. And you can send messages through there. You can see when our panel discussions are going to take place. And we have the first one starting in August, 2020, dealing with our black males, which is another cool. underserved group that we definitely want to target and support. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your service and your hard work. Um, really excited you took the time to bring us this information. And again, I told you, you got that masterclass and workshop for the way you serve with special education. You need one for the boards too. So I'm just going to leave that right there. I'm just going to put in the atmosphere. <laughs> well, hey, I got nothing but time now <laughs> to get those things done before the actual school year picks up. So I appreciate you having me and giving me this platform to get this information across. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Make sure you continue to follow us. Go back and catch an episode from the past. Connect with us here and look for episodes that come in the future. It will truly take all of us as we evolve in this educational arena. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful rest of the summer and we'll see y'all on the next episode.